This episode of EMS One Stop is brought to you by Lexapol, the experts in policy, training, wellness support and grants assistance for first responders and government leaders. To learn more, visit lexapol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L dot com. Hello and welcome back to another edition of EMS One Stop. I'm your host, Rob Lawrence, and this week uh, we're going to uh, go across the pond to the UK. We've also got a guest from uh, here in the good old US. And we're just going to talk about thing one is just the, the continuing to have that discussion about the sad demise of ET3. Uh, and our UK friend and guest, uh, Dr. Linda Dykes, can talk about, we'll actually pull back the curtain and show us what we could have won had we have persevered with it. And then we're going to go into a subject near and dear to all of our hearts, which is emergency management and uh, actually identify and celebrate the differences between UK and US uh, emergency management techniques and uh, then go on to talk about an event that's coming up, uh, a global event, dare I say, uh, uh, in early August. So without further ado, I'm looking at two of my very, very good friends uh, from each side, each bank of, uh, of the pond of the Atlantic. Uh, so uh, Dr. Linda Dykes, uh, give us your backstory. <laughs> Hello, thank you. Well, thanks for the invitation to join in today. Uh, my name's Linda. I'm a um, emergency physician. I'm also a GP, which I think you'd probably call a family physician in, in the um, in the United States. Um, and I've spent about the past seven years actually doing more work in acute community geriatrics um, than I have in the emergency department, although I do still do that. Um, I've also got a background in training paramedics initially with search and rescue in the days when I was young and a trauma junkie. Um, these days, I'm much more interested in keeping frail elderly people at home. Um, and uh, currently I'm actually working supporting a team of uh, advanced um, clinical practitioners who are uh, advanced practitioners of varying professional backgrounds. I don't know what you call them in the USA. Uh, I'm just supposed to be joined by Dog, by the way. This is Zuri. Hi, Zuri. Um, and uh, I've got a mixture of paramedics, nurses and therapists in that role. So it's, uh, it's, it's exciting and lovely to be to be working directly alongside paramedics again on a daily basis. Great. And uh, also for everybody out there, Linda and I, and I think Rom as well, in fact, will be appearing at EMS World Expo uh, in New Orleans at the New Orleans Convention Centre in September. And Linda, I think we are on our, we, Linda and I actually deliver the International Roundup every year at Expo. And I think this is uh, number seven, the seventh annual International Roundup with, uh, with Rob and Linda. And when we get to talk about uh, models of EMS, around the world and actually what i really enjoy linda and i know that you do too is we actually pray i mean we select uh, international members from the audience to talk about the issues to talk about the successes to talk about uh, how it works for them in their country and uh, dare i say we get great reviews by letting other people talk and it's a great way to do it, it it's fantastic happens. i mean i know that you, you do your uh you do your filming on the elevator but i also know that you usually have one ear pinned listening out for non-us accents at which point we kind of pounce on people uh with with, with accents from places other than the usa and we kind of drag them along to the session and make them do the work it's great it's a lovely session i really enjoy doing it and it's different every year because obviously we have backup material um, available but usually it just works as a conversation with it with with a group of people in the room and it's it's really fun it's a great session absolutely so uh point takeaway number one if you're coming to expo look up uh, the international roundup with uh, myself and linda we're ignoring our other guest uh, let's go back to uh, to the u.s shores and uh, a man that uh, many people know rom uh, f- for that one person in the world that doesn't know who you are give us an introduction <laughs> 
Hello. Uh, my name is Rom Duckworth, and my day job is I am a shift commander, a fire captain, uh, and the paramedic EMS coordinator for the Ridgefield Fire Department in Ridgefield, Connecticut. And we are a small paramedic transport fire rescue department about an hour outside of New York City. And on my days off, I uh, teach uh, EMS in different locations, including the UK, when Linda can get me over there. <laughs> and um, i a uh, member of the board of directors of the National Association of Emergency Medical Technicians. Well, as, as I had a little preamble discussion with Linda, I'm going to do the same with you. And uh, uh, NAMT Lighthouse Leadership Project, going from strength to strength, I know you're involved in that. You're actually... Uh, Currently, I can see all the books behind you. Is this where the idea from the book club came along? Um, but, uh, you know, for those that, uh, because, of course, we're going to start recruiting cohort number three, I think, very soon. So give us a quick uh, resume on uh, the Lighthouse Leadership Project. Sure. Um, this was a vision of Jim Page, uh, the uh, one of the, the sort of the founders of modern EMS in the United States. And some of the old timers will know him as uh, the, the the person who set up the, the great show Emergency that inspired so many of us to get involved in the profession back in the day. I'll translate um, in a second it, for you, Linda, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so the Lighthouse Leadership Program was it was and is a, a way for us to reach out to people in EMS all across the country uh, who don't have direct access to mentorship resources and connect them with mentors like yourself, Rob, who can help answer questions for them. And it's it's networking, but not necessarily in, you know, hey, get a leg up on your resume kind of a leg up, but in a, hey, I'm facing these difficult challenges what do I do? What have you done? What resources and their direct personal mentor and our network of mentors from NAEMT help them move the needle on some of the difficult questions that we're all facing. And uh, sometimes when it's a challenge to do even that, at least offer, you know, a, a concerted ear. Oh, my goodness. Sorry. I'm very excited uh, about that particular mentorship program. And uh, I think it's only fair that I mentioned that uh, there's a number of them now starting off, which I think is an excellent thing. Not only do we have Lighthouse from NAMT, we have Next or the Nexters, as they now call themselves, from the American Amateur Association. And uh, an email just went round the the the, the, the world uh, looking for the next cohort of AAAs next. And, of course, women in EMS, uh, sorry, women in emergency services, shall I say, have also a mentorship program and uh, some of my colleagues are mentors and again they're looking to recruit and attract uh mentees as well so this is a great thing and uh you know long may it continue um linda mentioned advanced practice paramedics and, and doing some of the the gp or the, the 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 family medicine type stuff and obviously being an emergency physician and i'm going to uh, brag on you linda for those that uh didn't know this linda was also the flight doc when prince william was a search and rescue pilot back in the day and so i'm sure if uh, when you see her in new orleans you can ask her for a few of those uh, those stories but ron we've uh you know lamented the demise of et3 it uh it's disappeared or disappearing uh we know it's going uh it was our chance to show that treatment in place uh uh tilt as i call it treatment in lieu of transport uh was a good thing and of course that would then secure payment and again this is probably alien to those that are listening in the in the uk where healthcare is free at the point of delivery of course trying to secure funding to do something that makes sense 
is something we had to prove via the ET3 program. Uh, the rug was pulled out from under us. Um, and I know that to NEMT, because I was talking to uh, President Susan Bailey uh, only uh, yesterday, in fact, that are putting together a letter to say, what the heck? I know a number of our uh, attorneys, Paige Wolfberg and Worth, uh, have written a what the heck letter. We're all writing what the heck letters. But, uh, you know, what do you think, man? Well, uh, I wasn't aware uh, as much in depth about ET3 and some of the other legislation that's pending that we consider tip and tad or transport, uh, excuse me, treat in place or transport to alternate destinations. Uh, and then I got involved in the NAEMT Advocacy Committee. So we're, I'm there. I'm talking to senators and Congress people, telling them how important this is, knowing that we've got the, the backing, basically, of ET3 as of uh, recently as a few months ago at uh, the EMS on the Hill Day. And now ET3 has just been abruptly stopped early. And without that, it, it is impossible really to move forward with tip and tad. And, and it's just incredibly frustrating for something that we all know and even have the numbers demonstrated that is better for patients. It's better for ambulance services. It's saving everybody money. There, there is almost no downside to this whatsoever. So it's, it's really baffling. And, and one of the things that's frustrating is that we're not seeing the why. Right. And we're not inventing the wheel here because the owner of the wheel is uh, the other person on this call is over in the UK. And, uh, you know, you, you've heard Rom and I talk just now, and uh, it just seems like uh, now it doesn't mean that we can't continue to do this community paramedicine lark, but it's going to be more difficult to sustain an income and funding to actually do it. And that, that's our US problem, Linda. But as I say, let's pull back the curtain. And let's see what we could have won. I mean, how's it going in the UK? And I know you're particularly deeply involved in some of these this uh, this operation. Yeah, so I was um, I, I've kind of been watching from afar the um, the program of sort of officially trialing out the sort of you know see uh, just you know just judge at scene alternate destinations etc. Um, and I'm really really sad to hear it that's running into rocky ground now in terms of continuation in terms of sustainable funding models in the US um, so in the UK there's actually a major programs um, run out from NHS England and also in the other the other countries in the UK so uh, Wales Scotland Northern Ireland to um, treat more people at home when it is appropriate to do so obviously there's there, there are plenty of people for whom um, hospital evaluation or access to diagnostics is absolutely required nobody's arguing that um, but there is a sort of substantial minority which a substantial minority taken over the you know millions of people who call ambulances every year is a lot of people um, for whom transportation to hospital is is not required it's not clinically needed um, i picked up a phrase that i use all the time that i picked up at ems expo which is um you know sometimes we're actually using a stretch limo to deliver a pizza um and then you're on top of that you're actually conveying the patient um you know for for, for reasons that are bizarre and seem to be driven by nothing other than the fact that otherwise you won't get reimbursement for the work that's been done um getting patients to hospital when they don't need it or when worse they are likely to be harmed by it um is is a real a real consideration um the frail elderly which is my particular area of interest these days um the risks of delirium for example from taking them to hospital when they just didn't need that they you know there was something wrong with them they needed to be assessed um and treated but that could have been 
in their own home and it could have been done either within primary care or within our system increasingly we've got advanced paramedics who are master's level um, educated um, paramedic practitioners who will diagnose and treat in the medical model um, and then you know hand over to services either back to their own family doctor or over to services such as mine which is called the urgent care response service when needed um, I'm really sad to hear that uh, you know, the US is going to struggle to regain the traction that you seem to have been getting to make this happen. Uh, to give you an example, in, in the UK, at the Welsh Ambulance Service, which covers, I think, about three and a half million people. It's a, By your standards, it's a very big ambulance service. By our standards, it's one of the smaller ones. Um, they're actually, their direct to travel at the moment, they're calling it inverting the triangle um, to try to stop... Uh, rather than the majority of patients being transported to an emergency department, they're trying to make it the minority and have most people treated in place. In order to do that, they're recruiting large numbers and training large numbers of paramedic practitioners um, and have fully uh, accepted the reality that um, EMS today in the UK is basically an urgent uh, an urgent response service on wheels Um with a small subsection, obviously it's still a sizable number of patients taken all together, um, of the true life-threatening and immediately life-threatening emergencies. Lots of things are falling out of that. And we've also got the epidemiology changing, of course, as well, with the with the ageing population, with the baby boomers coming through. Again, another phrase, I quote so many phrases at work that I picked up in America, um, but that as the baby boomers um, started to go to school, reached school age, they had to have schools built for them. And then we're in a world now that wants Very to true. reduce the number of hospital beds. So what are we going to do? Uh, in terms of their increasing healthcare needs. Um, we know that in, in UK data, um, the bed utilisation, hospital bed utilisation per year um, goes up something like 24-fold between patients under 60 and patients over 85. And our first baby boomers are only just hitting, what, 75 or so. So we, we, we've got a big problem. We've got a, there's, there's, there's still... It's, you know, people have stopped talking about the demographic change so much, but we're, we're, we're in the middle of it and we've got another 20 years to go. As, as our good friend uh, Ray Barashansky, parenthesis, common spelling, would tell you, it's the silver tsunami um, and it's and it's here and, and it, we have to be able to uh, to deal with that. So everybody out there, there's some food for thought there that, uh, you know, the UK are doing what we were hoping to do and they're doing it very, very well. Um when we get to Expo, Linda, of course, we can have that discussion that is about graduate education, master's education, PhD education for the medics. Don't want to do that here today because we could spend hours doing that one. And uh, so we'll park that. Uh, but before we sort of move on to part two, don't forget out there, everybody, uh, you can catch this uh, podcast or indeed this uh, vlog, however you want to describe it, either on the, the uh, podcast platform that you take your regular podcasts on or indeed on youtube we're now on youtube so if you're listening to us you can see us and if you can see us you can also listen to us don't forget though if you're listening to us on anything uh like apple Podcasts, etc pick up your phone look at it on there is a little check mark if you check that it means you've liked and you've subscribed and so every time a new episode drops you get notification that we're there and you can hear us and so that's a very important part also if you have any questions please uh, leave them in the comment section on the platform in which you are listening to this podcast or indeed watching this vlog on there we go it's very complicated these days uh, linda and ron because we're on audio <laughs> we're on video um and i now have to comb my hair so that's that's the thing now 
moving on to, uh, to to the part two, and one of the reasons that we're together here today is that we are very shortly uh, next month going to do an international major incident, um, Super Saturday uh, in the UK. Um, and of course, what it did was it identified and helped sort of really brought home the fact that it's the same, but not the same. We are separated by common language. And for those of you that have seen, again, Linda and I operate at Expo, Linda will say something and I then have to translate it into American. And it's a similar thing with emergency management and planning. We we we, we mean the same thing, but we don't say the same thing. So before we get into all of that, talk about what's coming up in uh, in August, Linda. Yeah, so uh, what's happening in August and August 5th, um, where you can watch now or watch later, is that um, I've organised a, a webinar on major incidents and disasters. We've called it we've called it an international masterclass because what I've brought together is um, a sort of small panel of speakers just for this you know, this half day virtual event. To we, we, I suppose it's with the goal of all of them I've asked to talk about what we what they've learned from major incidents themselves or yourselves because of course both yourself and Romy um, are presenting at this and what is there for somebody else to learn now the reason I thought about this was that um, thankfully you know true disasters and major incidents for most uh, people who may be involved in them either at the planning level or the delivery level or the operational level um, thankfully for most people they're not going to see enough or participate enough to become experts from their own experience alone and nobody wants to be reinventing the wheel there's learning from every single um, major incident or disaster of whatever ilk is out there and so sharing that knowledge and, and passing that forward to those who respond to the next one is is incredibly important um, and I wanted to just draw down first of all some of the things that my panel have learned themselves and secondly what they have learned that they need to pay forward and teach others and what they wish that somebody had taught them um none of us know when the what, when the next major or disaster is going to be but we do know that it's a day closer yesterday it's a day closer today than it was yesterday um which is um quite a sobering thought really it, you know we were a day closer yep. to the next yep. one and we don't know what it will be so that's the, the the premise of this, and uh, of, of course, Rom. Before we started recording, and I always tell people not to start talking before I hit the record button because the best content comes out before we're recording. And so we're going to try and recreate the conversation we had before. You can't um, tell me to not to stop talking, Rob. You, you can't. <laughs> no, I won't tell you this time. But I've I've had the you know, the absolute pleasure of being a gold commander and in the uk the command structure is is termed simply gold silver and bronze so gold being the the high level and of course in the and, and then moving to the united states and becoming the unified commander within the national incident management system within the emergency support functions and so i've had that real chance to see both sides at work and actually both sides within incidents at work as well and so it's been fascinating and realizing that we all have the same great intentions we all have the same frustrations and and one of the things and this is where rob and i were talking about you know the action actions on the first crew arriving on the scene and that that first action being they're not there to actually start getting stuck into the casualty care they're there to gather the situation to send the situation report to identify where other resources are going to come into and actually how many resources you need tempered against the fact that there are other people bystanders civilians um dare i say police officers coming in trying to grab you and throw you into the scene to start casualty care 
And so, you know, those those frustrations are the same, but obviously we just need to sort of unpack that and identify how each of us work and what those best practices are. And to that end, Rom, I think, you know, having understood the UK system, and again, that concept of gold, silver and bronze and what happens to the first arriving crew, you've actually taken some best practice away already into the US, I think. For me, yeah. Um, yeah. Some of the things that I had the opportunity to learn, uh, again, thanks to Linda and being able to come over, um, one of the key things, for, uh, both for being uh, on a number of occasions, the uh, paramedic who was looking at a major incident through a windshield, unexpected, first one there, pull up, there it is, got to do something. Um, and uh, and as well as being at, at different command levels. And the I'm not a big fan of acronyms necessarily. A lot of times they're used to make terrible questions on multiple choice exams. <laughs> but there are a few that really do provide a fantastic framework. And the methane uh, framework, the methane uh, acronym as well, really does help those first people arriving explain to the other incoming units uh, as well as the command structure and help command structure be able to pass on that key information. Number one, M, that there's a major incident, E, the exact location, T, the type of incident, H, the hazards, uh, is there a collapse hazard, active shooter, explosion, etc. Uh, a, for access, where you can definitely go or you shouldn't go, N for the rough number of casualties and E for the emergency services that need to be there, law enforcement, um, fire, rescue, whatever. Um, and this always seems like a thing that, of course, I'm going to get there and I'm going to give an update. But what we know, and I'm telling you from having been that person, from having tried to get that information from the people who got there just before me and from many, many after accident reports, it just doesn't happen the way that it should. And even when information gets passed off initially, does it get passed from EMS to police and fire so we're all on the same page? Does it get passed to the top-level commanders so that exactly the right resources get um, get dispatched to the right locations in a timely manner? It just doesn't happen. So this is one of the first things that I took back and we immediately began implementing in our own uh, town and in our own department. We're still working on it, but... Uh, but we really think it helps. And again, that situation where I always describe it because of my previous life's background as the fog of war, that first 15 minutes on scene where pandemonium chaos is breaking out, um, you know, having a formatted report that covers all of those points stops people like me in my old life when I was the company commander or indeed the gold commander screaming down the airwave radio or screaming down the, the company network to say, I need information, information, information. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Actually, you can very calmly and collectively give me the, the key things that help clear that fog. And I think that's a, that's going to be a great takeaway now. And, and we'll actually put that in the show notes as well, Rob, that acronym, because I think people could do with taking that away. Um, but that first 15 minutes, though, is 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 something that you're going to talk about and major on. Absolutely. Um, from being, like I say, you know, we've all had sort of those calls over the years that happen to happen a lot to you. And for me, for whatever reason, it's been involved um, both for on the training side because it's happened to me where I've been the first one there or one of the first people there at major incidents, which has led me to want to get better at it and participate in more training and, and more of it. So on both sides of it, um, and it really is going to be a talk about how to effectively uh, establish 
uh, and start to build the framework that needs to be there to support everyone when, as you say, a lot of pressure is being put on the first people there to just get in there, treat and get them off scene. Uh, but we need to start to build that framework to maintain the forward movement of patients. And that's absolutely key. So we're going to talk about real down to earth boots on the ground practicality of how to wrap your head around what's going on, how to communicate what's going on, and then how to start making order out of chaos. Now, there are major incidents, and there are, whoa, major incidents. And uh, we all saw the YouTube video of the Beirut port explosion. Uh, but we have the the first responder from that as well, Linda. Yeah, really exciting. So uh, Dr. Um, Chalky um, is coming to talk about us. He was, he's an emergency physician who started his career in emergency services as an EMT uh, with the Lebanese Red Cross. Um, he was the commander of EMS services and emergency response that day uh, for Lebanon, the whole of Lebanon. Um, and the, 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 the grain silos in the port blew up. Um, apparently the, the fourth largest non-nuclear explosion in modern history. Um, they had to deal with hundreds of people dead, thousands of people injured in the middle of the COVID pandemic. And then to make matters worse, their city hospitals, who would normally be the response hospitals for an incident within Beirut, uh, were damaged by the explosion themselves. So you know, wrapped around the, the the sort of, you know, the disaster of COVID was this enormous explosion in, in an urban area. Um, then it took out the functionality of, of two of the hospitals, which then had to be evacuated. It was kind of, you know, incident inside incident inside disaster. Um, and I know from meeting Shorky again in America uh, that um, the Lebanon used the UK's Jessup protocol, which is the Joint Emergency Services uh, incident protocol, uh, which I'm hoping you're just about to jump in, Rob, and tell me what the US equivalent is again. So it's it would be NIMS, the National Incident Management System. And again, that really came about after 9-11. And of course, when we look at the, the New York after action report, the first battle, as always, with every major incident was communication. And there was a massive failure of the ability to communicate different radio networks, different protocols, different acronyms different nine you know 10 codes and all this other stuff 10 for if you're listening um and so that was that really was the catalyst that created you know that that particular system and so you know it, but it took that level of you know tragedy to cause it to happen but uh you know yeah. and and, and, I, and i have to say and i'm going to be you know i'm not being disingenuous to our police colleagues but uh, it took them a while to get on board with this and i'm delighted you know through certainly my experience in virginia and my experience in california that uh, we're getting there now you know uh, uh, firefighters very very good at this thanks to wildland firefighting having to be super uber coordinated because you can't lose a section of firefighters if the wind changes etc etc um, EMS got on board fairly quickly. Police are now with us. And I think, you know, things are, you feel free to agree or disagree, Rob. I think things are become feeling joint and unified now. Yeah, I, I think so. And I, uh, one of the points that I always try to make when I'm involved in training uh, on unified command is it's not who's most more important, uh, who's most important. Uh, it's, it's what needs to be done first. And that's what we focus on. And I, I think that really helps people. And I, yeah. I, I agree with you. We're getting better at it. Yeah. And, and actually, I have to, you know, go back to my UK days where in in, in Suffolk, Su the county, a county is a state. So just to sort of do that translation for us all uh, between UK and US. So I, I, I led a, a county strategic coordinating group 
um, and and I shared it with actually the the deputy chief constable, the deputy chief of the county police, and uh, they were normally it's the purview of police of the police to run this thing, but they're like half this stuff we do is a medical issue or an emergency medical response. Why am I as the chief cop in charge? You should be doing this, and actually, and, and it's right because, of course, then your your thought processes are different. But actually, we're working in in a joint environment. And actually, if you look at the the poster that Linda very kindly put up uh, on social media, one of one of my you know, don't even think of the word here. One one of my you know proudest moments was to be you know have have a photograph of all the you know the deputy fire chief, deputy police chief, me, the emergency managers, and when that was the the tight knit group that did many many things, including H one N one when it. The Bernard Matthews Turkey Factory, if you're listening in the UK, in, in Norfolk, came down with a massive dose of bird flu, and that caused all sorts of uh, shenanigans. And uh, you know, it was a clinical issue. We had to we had to ensure that. And therefore, the, the deputy chief constable went, "Okay, Rob, you're on deck. It's yours." And then it, it's it is what it is. And so that's that's key. Um, but you know. Linda, I mean, what what else are we going to talk about on the day? We've got a four hour super session. And by the way, if you if you you can watch it live, and but it's going to be uh, in the daytime in the UK, and it's going to be for you night shifters in the US. By the way, so that's the first thing. Uh, but also, it's on demand. And thanks to our friends at Prodigy for the US listeners, we're going to provide CE for our US audience as well. So uh, that's cool. But uh, who else is coming up, Linda? Oh, yeah. So we're starting off with uh, Shorky talking about the Beirut port explosion, which is just of interest to anybody in itself. Um, that brings to the, the what I've asked him to pull out the things that he noticed using the UK system, because I had put him in touch with Stephen Groves. Now, Stephen Groves uh, is an emergency medicine nurse by background. I met him when he was an EM manager, when I was a slightly feral registrar or resident to you guys. Um, and Stephen is now the head of EPRR, so emergency uh, preparedness, uh, resilience, and what's the, what's the other one? Um, for NHS England. So he is working at government level um, in the emergency responsiveness and, and preparedness sector. Um, and I had put Shorky in touch with him to talk about the um, the learning that was available to the UK from the Beirut port explosion. Um, I think Stephen's probably going to be talking about quite 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 a wide variety of things, and I suspect we'll have a very interesting uh, Q and A on that one um, because he was also. Uh, in, you know, had had to sort of procure PPE for the UK at the start of the COVID pandemic, uh, which was a real problem here, actually. And um, I'm sure. Don't get us going that. on the availability of crappy <laughs> PPE in the US either. So that, that could be another hour's podcast, I, right? right I, up. Suspect, I suspect yep. he'll touch on the the learning from the Manchester bombing um, right. inquiry, uh, which is an important one. Um, and after him, we have got Phil Coburn, who is uh, emergency physician pre-hospital, uh, physician flight physician in the UK. Now, Phil is going to talk about the 10-second um, the triage. So in the UK systems for a number of decades, we've used a two-step process for triaging casualties at mass casualty incidents, um, the sieve and the sort. Um, they have been scrapped uh, based on sort of, you know, practical feedback and replaced by uh, a new rapid triage system and including the fantastic you know 10 second triage uh, phil did tell me he wanted to call it the quick and dirty triage but the uh, nhs england wouldn't let him and he's actually going to talk about the 
the evidence behind that, the reasons for the change, the human factors and simulation uh, that have gone, gone into actually using it. Um, and so that should be another really useful practical talk, first of all, for any UK viewers who haven't yet been introduced to 10 second triage. And secondly, just in the kind of this learning from previous incidents, what can we do differently? Something we've had for 20, 30 years, actually it's maybe time it is replaced and then the final speaker is of course our own rom who's right here on this call um who has um we, we would have I, am i allowed to say a rude word on these podcasts or is that completely no. banned okay I, th this ladies and gentlemen this is what i do at conferences i actually have to watch linda's potty <laughs> mouth and you can't swear on what this about show no, okay. no, 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 no. And we don't edit this either, Linda. So, uh, oh, right, okay, okay. No. So, okay, whatever your word is for somebody who is seems to have a disproportionate exposure to gnarly jobs, so we would call it a beep magnet. Okay, we, I think the listeners that got that. Yeah, yeah, we, we, that's enough. Move on. Okay. That's cool. So, 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 Rom, who has who has experienced a number of incidents in in his career more than the average um, UK paramedic certainly would have been exposed to um and um obviously rom is a such a gifted educator um i really wanted to hear his um thoughts and to share what he has learned what he wished he'd known at the various incidents he's yeah. attended or responded to in various guises and at various levels um and then what he what, what he makes a point of sort yeah. of teaching forward to others who may be following in the footsteps well actually that I, my last question to both of you was actually going to be based on what you just said, Linda. And so in any emergency situation you've ever been involved with before, what's the one biggest takeaway? And I'm, before I ask you to answer that, I have this theory. There's lessons learned. We talk about lessons learned and there's lessons identified. Right. And so we do all these after action reviews. We come up with these big checklists of things we should take note of. That's the lesson identified. It's not necessarily a lesson learned right because we have to mm. create a policy create drill practice it rehearse etc so what's your biggest lesson learned from your experience i suppose for me i'm lucky luckily i've never actually been involved in a major disaster response i've been very lucky in my emergency physician career not to have to what i can say is if i know that resource is about to kick out kick off and i've got a standby call from an ambulance crew uh what i have learned is, is go for potty stop first and ideally a glass of water uh, because it may be some time before you can do anything else and you will not be able to concentrate if your bladder is full I'm just going to jump in with a corollary to that, that during the pandemic, as we put our folk into their their, uh, their Tyvek suits, we had to change the SOP from number one, put suit on to number one, P first. So, yes, there is that. Romy, what's Human your other? That was the first P in PPE. <laughs> oh, that would be tri triple PE. <laughs> exactly. Uh, um, for, for, for me, when it comes to uh, incident, major incidents that involve a, a lot of patients that sort of have 1.5 lessons that um, there's so many things you could say, but the overall focus is on the forward movement of patients so that everything that you're doing when you're focusing on it, it's on keeping that maintaining that forward movement of patients. But what has to go into that with the structure is that the boots on the ground people don't work for the command structure. The command structure only exists to support the boots on the ground. And as soon as both parties understand that effectively, that the command structure is only there to support the boots on the ground, they start making more effective decisions to maintain that forward movement of patients. And it helps bring order out of chaos and it helps everybody work together to save lives and reduce harm. I'm going to throw one in because uh, I'm the host. And uh, 
during the 7-7 bombings, what we quickly realised was, of course, London hospitals were getting prepared to fill up. And, of course, in order to fill up, you have to empty. And so we now need two ambulance, complete ambulance services, one to be the emergency service and then another one to evacuate the back door of those hospitals to create capacity. And that actually created a ripple effect in and around London to about, you know, 200 miles where, and in my area, we had the very specialist hospitals, Addenbrooke's, uh, and, and in, in in my particular area, all of a sudden we're getting phone calls from every specialist saying, I need to get these patients out. Where to? Don't care because we're getting prepared to receive patients in. And that created a logistic nightmare that I have to say hadn't been thought of before. And so whilst the incident may be in location A, locations B, C, D and E are also going to feel the effect. There we go. That's my lesson identified and lesson learned. Um, anyway, that's it. So how can we follow you guys? Uh, Linda, you are the Twitterati uh, queen of England. And so uh, <laughs> who, who are you and where are you on Twitter? So you can easily find me on Twitter. It's uh, at Dr. Linda Dykes. Uh, that's Linda with an I, Dykes with a Y. Uh, it'd be lovely to see you on there. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm I'm very easy to find. Rom, I love how you can introduce this Twitter handle. Ready? Go. Uh, my parents were lovely enough to name me Rami Duckworth. So any Google search of Rami Duckworth or Rom Duck will get you to an email or a website or a Twitter handle. I am at Rom Duck. On Twitter as well, not as prolific as Linda, but uh, I'm 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 easy to find. I'm a Google search away. Excellent, I I, I love that when you tell that. I can listen to that every time. And uh, don't forget, you can follow me on Twitter at ukrobl1, or go over and find us all. I think on LinkedIn as well, so we're there. So that's another edition of EMS One Stop. I'd like to thank my guests and my good friends, uh, Dr. Linda Dykes and uh, Rom Duck, Romy Duckworth. Uh, Google him. His parents named him such so that you could Google him. And uh, we'll look, we're going to see you uh, next week. Don't forget, as I said, Linda and I and Rom will be at Expo. So if you want to come and see us uh, and, and chat about uh, all matters international, uh, do that. We're going to put the links to the upcoming uh, 5th of August event in the show notes as well and there's tons of social media on that Um, but for the moment oh don't forget make sure you like and subscribe you can catch us on all the regular podcast platforms and also you can see us if you're not looking at us now on YouTube so this has been another edition of One Stop they were Linda Dykes and Ron Duckworth I've been Rob Lawrence and until next time bye for now